We are on chapter 18 of Revelation. This is lesson 24. This is going to sound like some familiar things, but I want to propose to you that chapter 18 actually, while it is speaking about Babylon, it is actually talking about a different aspect of Babylon than what we talked about last week, but they go hand in hand. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow therefore her plagues will come in one day death mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of, the, of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and incense, fragrant oil, and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, and wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies of the souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for, for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. 
Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and all who were slain on the earth. As I said, a very lengthy chapter uh, and some familiar things that we saw last week talking about Babylon. Uh, last week we talked about the religious aspect or system of Babylon. And uh, this week we'll be looking at the political uh, slash commercial uh, systems of Babylon. So verse 1 begins with the words, after these things, way back, 23 lessons ago, when we began to talk about Revelation, we said that there were key words that gave us a little bit of an understanding of the timeline. So after these things is speaking about the things that came before this chapter, chapter 17, it gives us a little bit of a timeline there. In chapter 17, as we talked about, is about the destruction of Mystery Babylon. How many remember that we talked about Mystery Babylon? And we said that that was the same word as mystical. That's why we associate Mystery Babylon with the religious aspect of Babylon. Mystical or religious in nature. So chapter 17 describes the false religious system that will be destroyed in the last days. Remember us talking about the false prophet, religious system that would marry or mingle all of the religions of the world, and that those ten kings would come against it with the Antichrist and would indeed destroy a false religious system. Chapter 18, as I just said, describes the fall of the commercial and the political Babylon. Politics and money kind of go hand in hand. Commercial Babylon was called Babylon the Great. So it talks about those commercial political systems of Babylon. Religious Babylon was described as a woman. As a matter of fact, it was described as the great whore. It has to do with it. The Bible typically describes religious systems or even the people of God as a woman, some kind of aspect of a woman. So God's people are, are many times called his bride in the New Testament. God's people in the Old Testament sometimes are referred to as a prostitute if they have gone after other religions. So that's why we believe that this religious system is being referred to as a woman, this great whore. 
the commercial Babylon is portrayed as a city. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, where are most of the jobs? Where are, you know, they're, they're contained in cities. More people live in cities than they do in rural areas. Not by a lot, but there's not as many big cities as as there are, you know, rural, rural areas. So religious Babylon, as we said, destroyed by the kings and the Antichrist. Political com commercial Babylon was destroyed by the hands of God himself, as we begin to look at this. When mystery Babylon was destroyed, last week we talked about chapter 17, that the kings rejoiced. They were glad to see it. We talked about maybe some reasons why those kings might be glad to see this false religious system be gone. Uh, and it may be also that the Antichrist wanted to be worshipped himself and that, those kinds of things. But when we look at this, what happens to the people when they find out that that great city has been destroyed? Now they begin to weep and lament. The word lament means to have pity on yourself. Why would they have pity on themselves if a great city was destroyed, burned up by God? They had no commerce, right? No way of selling and buying and trading and, and uh, making money. They pitied themselves. As we look at this, is this referring to a literal, real city? I don't know that we'll really for sure hash that out tonight. I will tell you that Babylon was a real city. Babylon was a location. Uh, it was in what we modern day call Iraq. And so it was a real city, uh, but there are arguments as to whether this passage is talking about a real city or is it talking figuratively about this commercial political system that is being destroyed in the last days. And if this is a literal city, will it be rebuilt? The Bible talks about Babylon being rebuilt. Some commentaries say that the Old Testament prophecies of Babylon were literally fulfilled and it will not be rebuilt again. Some say, since there's no literal city now called Babylon, that it must be symbolic and not literal. Now, let me tell you, in the 1980s, Saddam Hussein, you may remember that name, was attempting to rebuild Babylon. The ruins are still there. I actually did some current research to look and to see that the ruins are still there and they're found in the city of Hillah, H-I-L-L-A-H. You don't have to know that uh, for your questions, but I found that very interesting. And of course, this city is in Iraq and the ruins of Babylon, some of them are still there. As a matter of fact, when the United States, how many remember when we went into Iraq? When the United States went in and some of those walls of the city were covered up, some of them were destroyed and had to be erected again because it's kind of like 
if we were to tear down um, the Statue of Liberty. It wasn't acceptable because Babylon is, is well known and kind of an icon in Iraq, even though it lies in ruins. So it's interesting as we look at this, there are some reasons that it could be a literal city. It depends on how you interpret uh, certain scriptures. Uh, Babylon's destruction, did it fully come to pass? That's a question. But not all of, it doesn't appear at least, that all of the prophecies about Babylon have come to pass. Jeremiah 51, 26 says this about Babylon. They shall take no stone of thee for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but thou shalt be desolate forever, says the Lord. So has that literally come to pass? I would say no. The reason why I would say no is that modern day Baghdad took stones, and this is known, this is internet research as well as uh, Bible study from years ago, Baghdad did literally take some stones from Babylon and reconstructing and constructing Babylon. So has Jeremiah 51, 26 come to pass? I would say probably not, not fully. Does that mean it's going to be rebuilt and torn down stone from stone? I don't know. Isaiah 13, 19 says that Babylon will burn as Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet historically, when you look at history, that has never happened. It did not burn. It was torn down. It was desecrated, but it was not burnt. Isaiah 13, 9 says that this prophecy of it being destroyed and burnt will be fulfilled in the day of the Lord. So, what is the day of the Lord? We've been talking about the day of the Lord. That's the end times, right? And so, could this be a city that will be rebuilt again? Maybe where it was. Maybe in a little bit different place, but not far from there. Now, here's the big kicker. None of this really matters. Not to us, because we're going to be gone. But it is interesting as we look at that. The only reason why it would matter to us is if we were to see Babylon begin to be rebuilt again. If some leader in Iraq or some political figure decides that, hey, this used to be a great city, historical, from the beginnings of times, and they know that. Tower of Babel was in Babylon. If you do see that, then maybe all these scriptures are being fulfilled uh, for this time in the future. So we don't know. But it's interesting as we look at that. So look at verse 2. As we look at verse 2, what happens to Babylon when it falls? It says it's fallen, it's fallen. It becomes a bad place. It becomes a dwelling place of demons, it says. A prison for every foul spirit. 
and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Interesting. Once God destroys it, it becomes a place of, that you don't want to go to. We're, we're not going to be around, but there will be people in this, these last days, and they're not going to want to go there. So it's interesting as we look at that. I think it's interesting that it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It says it twice. Is it the religious system that has fallen and the political slash commercial system that has fallen? Is that the reason why it says it twice? Maybe it is. Verse 3, you see mentioned here three different groups of people who have had evil relationships with Babylon. What are those? Nations, kings, and merchants. Nations, kings, and merchants. So they all have evil relationships with them that are described as fornication. If it is, like we believe it to be, political slash monetary commercial system that is being killed here, then what does the Bible say that you cannot love God and Mammon. What is mammon? Money. Money. Commercial things, right? So it, it's interesting that we see this. God here is calling it fornication because they have abandoned him in lust for wealth and accumulation of things. Question, do we see that today? Absolutely. We see that. Now, is it wrong to have money? This is a question I ask all the time. Is it wrong? No, it's not wrong to have money. But it is wrong for money to have you. So that when you begin to look at that, they, this, these people, these nations, these kings, uh, what's the other one? And merchants, it was all about gaining wealth at anyone else's expense and not seeking after God. That's when wealth becomes, seeking of wealth becomes dangerous for us is when we put it above God, when we make it an idol. Hey, there's a lot of good Christian people who have a lot of money. And I'm hoping they come here and help finance that church out there, amen? Uh, <laughs> but there's, there, there's nothing wrong with me saying that. You know, I used to feel kind of strange about asking God to send laborers because I felt like I was being greedy. Well, God, what about the sinners? But if you get laborers, then the sinners will get discipled and get taken care of if you have laborers in the church. So it's all about what is our motivation. Uh, it's not wrong for a church to have money as long as money isn't the object. I appreciate our board. They're a financial board, but they're also a board that helps me making decisions about future ministries and things of that nature. And I covet their help in that. I don't want to be the only one thinking about that, right? Or the only one trying to make provision for future ministries and things like that. So we have an understanding that if I want a financial answer, I'll ask for that. 
But if it's a faith thing that I believe that God's calling us to do, then I'm supposed to tell them that as well. That's that was that mutual working back and forth between the ministry and the financial act. You need both. And we have some good stewards on the board that help with that. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with buying and selling, but here it's described as an evil spirit that is driving nothing but consumption. Anytime your heart goes to a place where you're never satisfied unless you have more, then we're operating in a different, in a wrong motive and, that, and the atmosphere is wrong. There is a thing called godly contentment where we're satisfied and I don't mean from a vision standpoint but we're satisfied personally and also as a church financially that we're not driven to only have finances for the sake of well we've got this much in the bank but what are we doing with it is the question I think it was interesting because when Jesus came into the temple and basically ran them out of there because of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It all started out as a very simple thing because they were selling things to be able to, you know, for people to purchase and stuff like that to be able right. to praise God. But then it became more about, like you said, the finances side of it. Yeah, it became something that rather than facilitating worship, it was hindering worship. That's why Jesus turned over the tables and the money changers and all that, because it was not facilitating worship. They were charging exorbitant prices for animals, for sacrifices. They were also, if you really study deep, uh, they also was, there was a temple coin. There were temple coins that had to be used. And so if you brought money from someplace, you had, yeah, brought you rubles, you had to exchange those and they were charging exorbitant prices for that kind of thing. But the other thing, the re one of the reasons as well that Jesus was upset with the people who were buying and selling and trading and, and all of this going on is that it was happening where the Gentiles, only the Gentiles could, the Gentiles could not go into the inner temple and certainly could not go into the holy of holy place. So they had a court on the outer part of the temple and that's where the money was being exchanged and the things were being sold. So that hindered worship of Gentiles to be able to come. And I tell you, God doesn't like it when we don't facilitate worship. That's the truth. We, we must facilitate uh, worship. Verse 4, so once this destruction has begun and God is destroying this system of Babylon, he tells his people to do something. What are they to do? Come out. Interestingly, we're called to come out from the world. Sunday I preached about we're in the world, but not of the world. There's a line there that in order to minister to people, sometimes you had to go to them. So it's not about don't, don't go and ever speak with someone who is outside of Christianity, but it's don't become so ingrained in the world and the world system 
that it is causing more of an influence on you than you are on the world. That's where uh, we have to watch out. When I'm preaching, a lot of times I say this, you know people that you shouldn't be around because they influence you negatively. And then you know there's people that you need to influence and they don't necessarily want to be around you. We can't totally come out of the world. There's, this is not an escapism mentality. It's really not. We have to be careful in these last days that we don't get such a, a mentality of we're going up out of here, forget everything else. We can't, we can't do that, right? Yeah, it make, yeah, absolutely. Make rapture your idol. We're not escapists. We're ministers until the Lord comes. As a matter of fact, we, I believe, our sincerity and our passion ought to be increasing the more that we see the day is approaching. And the Bible even says, don't forsake to assemble. Even so, more as you see the day approaching. Why do we need to assemble? Because we got to get geared up and gassed up and, and uh, <laughs> all those things in the church so that we can go out into the world and minister. Not so that, you know, we can just be taken out of here. Until the Lord calls us home, we're, we're, we're not done. Occupy until he comes. Come up out of her because if you don't, what will happen? Sharing their sins and sharing their plagues or punishment, as Bill said. Does that remind you of anything in the Old Testament? Who else was told to come out of the city? Lot and his family, right? And uh, we see that Lot does escape and his daughters. He was drug out, but the angels were dragging him out and saying, don't look back. But here's where it comes a matter of the heart. Lot's wife's heart was all about the world, not about God. That's the reason why she was turned into a pillar of salt. Not because she inadvertently looked. It would be hard to not look because you would hear the destruction and all that. It didn't have anything about her. It was not about her inadvertently looking. It was a matter of the heart that she was glued and desired in the world. When we teach that, sometimes we don't bring that out. It was about obedience, too. We have to be obedient. Uh, but what was her, where was her heart in the matter? So that's verse 4. Look at verses 6 through 8. There is a law here that is uh, shown and I'm not going to say what that is yet God begins to talk about Babylon and he's saying double this double that preachers like to say you get double for your trouble right uh, <laughs> uh, but here Babylon is getting double destruction because of her part in corrupting the world, the system. And is it, if it is a literal city, I don't know which one it is. I mean, it might be, uh, in the past, we thought about cities like New York as a place of commerce. We also see that 
that was attacked, right? And what happened to the world economy when that happened? It's not that difficult to think that we're returning, as Kay said, toward a system that is, even if it's not the same language, it's easy to understand what other people are communicating and saying. Interestingly about Babylon, in Bible days, they came in and tore down Jerusalem and they burned the city. Now, here, this is showing that Babylon is going to be destroyed in a similar way uh, and that God's judgment will come in one day. One day. Is this a literal day? We don't know. We've already discussed that God's time is a, yeah, some say an hour, some say a day, depending upon the translation. We've already said that God's timing is different than ours. A year is like a day, or a day, you know, a thousand years. And so how, God isn't limited by time, but here it does appear that it's a short amount of time, a very short amount of time, and that this city is being judged and destroyed. And it could be that it's a literal 24-hour day. But what we do know is this sudden destruction happening very quickly. Daniel chapter 5. Just a little quick note here. If you remember reading that, that's where the king is at a great banquet and he commands one of his servants to go and get the gold and the silver chalices that they had stolen from the temple. All of those things, those chalices, the, the, they were stolen from the temple. And then all of a sudden, there's a finger and handwriting on the wall. And it said that in this same night that the king would be killed and that another would rule in his place. Essentially, is what the story says in the Bible. Historically speaking, it was the exact same day. King Darius of the Medes took control of Babylon the same day and uh, so you see here similarities in the story here in Revelation and again in Daniel because Daniel is a very prophetic book and speaks of not only what's happening currently in Babylon but will uh, happen in the future. So it's interesting to, to see that. When you look in a when you look at verses 9 through 19, you see a huge list of all the things that would be bought and sold in Babylon. You could probably go into those and look at those and find things in there, but we're not going to do that tonight. We are saying here as we look at that is it's not just the political system that is getting destroyed, but it is also the commercial system. So there's no longer you know, these spices and these, it, look, it appears that they're talking about slaves and all kinds of different, it's not available anymore from this, in this system. Uh, it, it's affected uh, everything seemingly in the world, the commercial, the economic system, all comes to a great fall. We've experienced in our short time of being alive some great falls in the commerce systems. I may remember, I for sure remember 2008 
real estate market went like that, and the auto system just about totally shut down until the government came in and stepped in. Uh, so we've seen those kinds of things happen, but they haven't been a fall that didn't in some way come back and get restored. This here will be a forever economic fall of Babylon. This, what I believe, is just the system of commerce and the system of politics, uh, political things. So, so when we look at 17 and 18 combined, Babylon has been destroyed economically and religiously in these last days. And those are systems that are extremely important. Verses 20 through 24, just looking at them from a 20,000 foot glance, shows the final demise of the city of Babylon. And some people, certain people groups are told to rejoice because Babylon has fallen. What are those groups? Saints, apostles, prophets. Is heaven also mentioned there? Yeah. So heaven and apostles, prophets, your saints. Okay. Uh, New King James, I don't think, says that, but I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not going against that. I'm just saying. So it's interesting uh, as we look at that because God has avenged the apostles, heaven, the prophets, the, the saints, has avenged them because of all that Babylon has done in the past. What does that tell us? That God is a God of justice. God is a God of judgment as well as a God of love. We've been, we've been talking about the, these scales, these balances, and that God is not just love and mercy and forgiveness, but because he's holy, the Bible throughout the Old Testament, I've been uh, listening to over the past three weeks, I've listened to Genesis all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. And, and just, you know, you can consume 20, 25 chapters in just an hour or so if you listen to it. It talks all the time about don't have scales that are one's heavy and one's light. And so God is a God of justice and there is a balance between God's love and mercy versus his judgment and his justice. Right? And there's the balance because God is totally holy. I'm glad that I'm dependent upon God's mercy and love, and He will allow us to do that. Uh, but the Holy how many knows that the Holy one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to judge us. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit beat you up a little bit because you didn't do something you should have done? Or you did something you knew you should have done and you did it anyway? What happens? Holy Spirit, you become sensitive. You get a spanking from God. Yeah. And that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. One of these days, I'm going to have to just have a teaching on the working of the Holy Spirit because it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit's an instructor, teaches us all things. You know, the Holy Spirit is, empowers us. Holy Spirit guides us and judges us and all you know all of these things. They probably make a good study sometime. 
Question number one. The focus of chapter 17 is the falling of the religious, of what system of Babylon? I said it then, the religious system of Babylon. Question number two. The focus of chapter 18 is the falling of the, the what? Commercial slash political systems of Babylon. Question number three, according to verse two, what happens when Babylon falls? Dwelling place for demons. Dwelling place for demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Question four. According to verse 4, why did God instruct his people to come out of Babylon? When partake of their sins or receive their judgments or plagues. I found something I didn't talk about. So, when we were talking about that Babylon was going to receive double for all that she had done, that is the law, I'm just going to tell you, that's the law of retribution. It is a Biblical law. You get what you your just desserts is what people used to say, right? Especially when you're living in sin. Now we get God's mercy if we ask for it and we ask for his forgiveness, right? But this law of retribution, when you have given out something evil, you're going to receive something evil in return. And God, that's, that's God's part of God's justice system. So there is this law of retribution. Question number six, according to verse three, what three groups had evil relationships with Babylon? Nations, kings, and merchants. Nations, kings, and merchants. Notice here that I believe it's, because in King James, in New King James, it says all nations. The kings of the earth, which I believe is all as well, and the merchants of the earth. So I believe this is, is all inclusive of nations, kings, and merchants. Question number seven. According to verse 20, what groups are instructed to rejoice over Babylon's folly? Three of them. Heaven, holy apostles, prophets, Kay's got NIV, saints, this is included in there. 